Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. It seems like kind of a mean trick. Little Shimpala Lisi was four years old and living in the village of Liku on Niue's east coast, and he was having a good day. It was 1976, and his family had just given him a present. Shimpala was pretty excited. We got new shirts made and stuff, getting a new shirt to wear to go somewhere. But I didn't know where we were going, but it was somewhere big. And he was right. Shimpala's new shirt wasn't for church or for visits. He and his family were leaving Niue to live in New Silani, New Zealand. Now, Shimpala's folks weren't being mean or playing a trick. They were trying to do their best by the family. But Shimpao wasn't all that impressed, and he was even less so by his first sight of Auckland. Driving from the airport um, in the car and just looking out the window, and it was raining and it was dark and it was cold, and I was still in my shirt. <laughs> in my short sleeve shirt. I was sort of a bit scared, mm. I think, more than anything. Yeah, and where are we and when are we going to go home? It would be nearly 20 years until Shimpal went home again. He lived in New Zealand now, like many New Wayans prior to him, and thousands since. Fakalofa atu kia mutolo. I'm Justin Gregory, this is Eyewitness, and we're talking about New Way, New Zealand, and leaving home for a new and, hopefully, better life. He was just a kid when he left, but actor and TV presenter Shimpal Lalisi remembers a surprising amount about life in New Way. Yeah, running around the village with the kids, going to church. Eating mangoes, dad fishing, going crab hunting. It sounds idyllic, eh? And if you're not from there or you haven't been, then you should go because Niue is a cracking place. But Shimpal's dad was a carpenter and he couldn't find enough work there. Mr Lilisi and Shimpal's two elder brothers had left for New Zealand a couple of years earlier and now it was time for everyone else in the family to go. It was only meant to be a temporary move. They came to earn, but the intention was always to go back home. Did they go back home? Uh, no. No. Rubbish weather aside, the Lalises was a pretty soft landing. There were plenty of New Wayans in Auckland to welcome them. Yeah, heaps of family were around, and Ponsonby back then was, was the island, pretty much. Brown people everywhere. <laughs> now, that's a good place to leave Shimpal and his family for a bit and talk more broadly about New Way and New Zealand and their shared history. I'm going to have to do it fairly smartly, so apologies for any huge camps. Niue, the rock, was settled about 1,000 years ago by Samoans from the north, Tongans from the southwest, and Cook Islanders from the east. Villages were led by chiefs, or iki, and later a king, or patuiki. By the time Captain Cook tried to land in 1774, Niueans were distinctly themselves, with their own language, Vangahau Niue, customs and system of government. Cook's attempt to make contact didn't go all that well. Someone threw a spear at him, and he snubbed the island the next time he was near. But Europeans kept on trying to land, and some made it, especially the London Missionary Society. But Niueans were worried about Europeans selling illegal liquor and buying land, as well as raids by Peruvian slave traders and German ambitions in the Western Pacific. In the 1880s, Niuean leaders asked Queen Victoria three times for her protection, lest some other powerful nation come and trouble us. Her Majesty's government graciously declined. 
But in 1901, a last request for annexation was finally agreed to, and six months later, Britain gifted Niue to New Zealand to say thanks for helping in the South African War. Niueans became New Zealand citizens, and the focus began to turn towards Aotearoa. Niuean soldiers served in the First World War. Ships travelled regularly between Alofi and Auckland. Niuean kids went to New Zealand for school, adults for university and work, and many never went back. Te Ara, New Zealand's encyclopedia, lists about 200 Niueans living in Auckland by the early 1940s, but that was about to grow. A lot. Yesterday morning we woke up to a scene of so much devastation. In 2004, severe tropical cyclone Hitta killed two people in Niue, destroyed downtown Alofi, and caused a clean-up bill of more than $20 million. This is Cecilia Talangi, secretary to the government. It was just unbelievable. The uh, cyclone Hitta was just so fast, furious and ruthless. At least 20 families lost everything. RNZ's Eric Frickberg was there. Well, I'm standing in the middle of what was once a hospital. It is an astonishing sight. It's a tangled mass of wreckage. There is concrete rubble everywhere. There's twisted plumbing and wiring and the, the wooden spars almost clattered together with the force of this all. In some places, the walls have been completely knocked out. In some places, entire structures have been flattened. And I'm standing at the moment on a flat piece of concrete that was once the uh, floor of um, hospital wing. It's as though some giant hand has just slipped down and uh, swept everything from it. It's a, it's a really distressing sight. Hitta was the worst cyclone in living memory, but all cyclones are memorable. The sound is something that's incredible, particularly because of the coconut trees. This is historian Margaret Pointer. She lived on Niue for four years from the late 1990s when her husband was High Commissioner. Now, she experienced a cyclone while she was there, which in her words just brushed the island. Beforehand, she recalls watching American naval engineers building an extension to the dock at Alofi using steel bins the size of train wagons filled with concrete and attached to the coral by steel rods. And first thing in the morning, our phone rang, and it was the, the chief of police to tell my husband that the extension had gone. <laughs> gone. And these steel concrete-filled wagons, some of them were lying up on the fringing reef, like Lego blocks, you know, and others had gone down into the deep. But there was no wharf. Remember, that cyclone just brushed the island. Now, usually there's one every 10 years or so, but Niue got hit badly in 1959 and then again in 1960. Virtually all the housing was either flattened or at least damaged, as well as all the food crops. After the 1960 cyclone, New Zealand built sturdy, storm-proof concrete block houses all around the island. Money and modern conveniences became a part of everyday life, and they all seemed to come from Aotearoa. Niueans understandably wanted some of that, and the trickle of migration out of the island started to resemble a flood. There were other factors too. After the Second World War, the United Nations started to prioritise independence for smaller nations. New Zealand agreed to this in principle, but balked a bit when it came to giving up our territories. But they didn't actually see themselves as being colonial powers because they considered the Cook Islands and Niue to be an integral part of New Zealand. A process began to free Niue from New Zealand, but it was coming from New York and Wellington, not a lofi. 
Nguyen started to worry that they would lose access to employment, health services, education, pensions and family benefits if they weren't in Aotearoa before independence was involuntarily gifted unto them. Remember, Nguyen's are New Zealand citizens with full rights. So Niue pushed back on the rush to independence and slowed the process down until 1974, when it became self-governing in free association with New Zealand. But her people kept on leaving, and they were the ones Niue could least afford to lose, young people and families. Niue's population in 1966 was 5,200. In 2019, it's just over 1,600. The language, Vangahau Niue, is considered endangered by the UN, and in the 2013 New Zealand census, nearly 24,000 New Zealanders identified as being Nguyen, and most of them lived in Auckland. The emptying out of the island is staggering. I said earlier that Shimpao Lalisi and his family had a pretty soft landing when they arrived in Auckland, but that's not the full story. I didn't really speak proper English until I was ooh, intermediate school, so primary was, was fun. <laughs> I remember one of my first memories was going home from school and getting lost and not getting home about three or four hours later in the dark. (laughs) Had you asked for help from anybody in the street? No, because I couldn't speak English. (laughs) Some of the issues were about more than language. One of my best friends at school, I went around to his house for the first time and his parents wouldn't let me on, you know, through the front gate because I was brown. But despite all that, Shimpal's family found their new permanent home. Shimpal calls himself a new way in Kiwi, while his kids, born here to Nguyen and Samoan parents, are just Kiwis. No hyphen necessary. I've taken them home a couple of times and stuff like that. They don't like eating coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, they consider themselves Kiwi. And of course, not everyone who left Nguyen found an easier life here. My name is Mary Owe. I come from the villages of Hakupu and Waiya. One of my ancestors was the one who threw the spear at James Captain Cook. Mary's mum was a nurse, and her dad managed several farms. Mary had the run of the two family homes, two villages, and the freedom that only a small, tight-knit community can bring. By anyone's standards, this was a good life. Yeah, we were definitely not struggling back home. When Mary was nine, her parents sent her to Auckland for school. She stayed with relatives, but was made to do all the housework and treated a bit badly. Mary was miserable. Her cousin told her parents back home, who decided they would all move to New Zealand, which was not the reaction you were hoping for at all. No. <laughs> no. The family lived in shared houses, then a housing New Zealand property, then finally their own home in Mangari. Her parents found work, her dad did all kinds of jobs, but her mum, who'd been a nurse back home, became a cleaner. I mean, we were better off in Niue. We had motorcycles, we had a house. You know, we had beds, because, you know, during that time, some families didn't have beds. There would have been way different opportunities, and we wouldn't have to struggle. Like, literally, we struggled. I mean, rice was a little bit of sugar. You wear pancakes, which is basically water and rice, is what, you know, our staple is. Um, Tomato sauce sandwiches. If you look back at our photos, you know, we were really, really skinny. Mary doesn't regret the move. She has a life here now with her family, her church and her own business. But she does maybe wish things had been different. Shimpao Lalisi went back to Niue for the first time since leaving when he was shooting the iconic Kiwi film Topless Women Talk About Their Lives. I was just sort of overwhelmed because I didn't expect those sort of feelings and stuff. And I didn't know what to expect and I just walked off the plane and the feeling I pretty much broke down. The feeling of just it's where you belong, that's where you're from, that's where you belong. And that's, that's when I thought about you know, what, my, what my parents and my grandparents had left. But recently, 
something happened. In 2017, US populations started to grow just a little bit. Some blamed Auckland's sky-high real estate and rental prices, but there can be re-entry problems. Communal land in Niue is held by family groups, but if the owners have been absent for more than 20 years, then it's forfeit. So families need to return now and then to prove ownership. It can be tough to prove which family owns what. That was certainly the experience of artist and writer John Poulet, talking here to RNZ's Lynn Freeman. About three and a half years ago, I decided to go back to Niue, and I built myself a little studio and a little hut to live in on my father's land. And uh, that has been an extraordinary experience for me because I've been away for over 50 years and I had to go through a lot of uh, land issues to uh, claim uh, the land which is rightfully, you know, belongs to my father. And so that has been a an issue, really important issue for me as an artist. New Zealand is, is home. You know, I haven't quite abandoned it, but New Year, it's almost like I have to kind of live a kind of like a, a second life again to try and understand, you know, where I come from. But while some New Wayans are going back, more than 90% still live here. Because while it's been more than 40 years since New Way introduced self-government, her people are still dual citizens of here and there. The New Zealand dollar is the currency, and on February the 6th, the island celebrates Waitangi Day. So maybe Shimpal Lelisi, who definitely intends to return to live on Niue, and others like him can find a third way between being Niuean New Zealanders and Niueans. I mean, why should they have to choose? We are from the Pacific Ocean, and the whole of the Pacific is where I'm from. As long as I'm near the ocean, I'm all right. <laughs> this episode of Eyewitness was produced by me, Justin Gregory, using archival audio from Natalna Sound and Vision. The engineer was Blair Stankpool. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to Eyewitness at Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, Podbean and Apple Podcasts or at rnz.co.nz forward slash eyewitness. When you're on Apple, please click on the ratings and review tag and give us a rating. That way more people hear about us. And if you've got stories you want us to tell, you can email us at eyewitness at rnz.co.nz. If you like Eyewitness, then you need to listen to RNZ's Black Sheep, all about the shady, controversial and downright villainous characters of New Zealand history. Noho ora mai. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.